Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Josh Dooley, uh, whose uh, both of our baseball teams have taken drastic turn of events in the last uh, couple weeks. My Mets in a free fall and Josh's Reds hotter than the sun. So, Josh, how you doing? Uh, I know the baseball team's doing well, but how are you doing? I am riding high on the wings of Joey Votto. Um, Got to attend a game, my first baseball game, live baseball game in two years now over the weekend. So uh, good things. Ready to dive full steam ahead into some Ohio State football. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time of year. We're kind of in the dog days of summer where, you know, baseball is starting to wind down. You're starting to see we had our first NFL preseason game last week. We're starting to get the, you know, Ohio State spring uh, preseason camp and all that good stuff. So a lot of fun stuff going on, a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, but obviously, this is not a Reds or Mets podcast, so unfortunately, we can't go. You know, the next. I'm sure me, me and John. Yeah, not yet until we. You know, until we change ownership and I, I take over the world and we make this a baseball only podcast. But <laughs> until then, uh, we're going to focus mostly on Ohio State uh, preseason camp, just some of the stuff we're watching, some of the watch lists, and other good stuff of that nature. That as we get closer and closer to the regular season, which at this point is less than a month away, we're about. You know, three and a half weeks or so away at the time of this recording. That Minnesota game on September 2nd is coming up fast. So a lot of exciting stuff to talk about and a lot of stuff that we see, you know, in this first couple days of camp. We've heard a little bit from Ryan Day about some of the guys, some guys that are really, you know, popping in camp. And then from just what, uh, like, the media has seen in their short windows, they've been able to view a couple of these camps. And so I wanted to just kind of touch on some of the position battles that we're really keeping an eye on early in camp. I think this is actually a really interesting year especially given how you know Ohio State didn't really have a real offseason last year to kind of get things going that obviously had a big impact on the way that things went last year and they you know they were still talented enough to make the national title game I don't think their like schemes and their coaching was quite good enough to, to win it and we saw that in the Alabama game yeah. where they just simply got you know run around by coach Saban and his staff and they just didn't really have uh, the, the SEC obviously had a little bit of an advantage there starting earlier and, and having more games and so that really kind of showed at the end but now this year Ohio State's gonna have a full regular offseason as regular as things could be as we still you know kind of battle the end of this covid thing and uh there's a lot of fun stuff to look at uh, i, I kind of wanted to start with you know my favorite part of these position battles and that's at running back uh obviously you have master teague returning who is kind of the incumbent starter but uh around him you have some really fun and interesting guys that who could potentially wind up with the starting job uh come the beginning of the season and you know so obviously if we're going there we're gonna have to start with my guy mine yeah gene i'm just gonna uh, my, my, yeah. i'm gonna set screens right. and let you just run off and shoot this is this is gene time it. right now 
I'm all for it. Uh, Mayan Williams, uh, my guy. The, uh, I think he I think he prefers chop. He used to be a meatball. I think he prefers chop. Whatever he likes, I'm all for it. He's like 5'7 and like 280, so whatever he wants to call himself, he can. Uh, he's just a complete bowling ball of a running back. I love his running style. You know, we didn't really see that much of him last year. We saw a little bit in bursts. He had like three carries against Clemson, and everyone went nuts over it because he looked pretty good doing it. I, I'm a big fan. I think he's a good change of pace back from what Ohio State's had. He's more of a you know a downhill bruiser and kind of a guy. He, he makes some cuts. We saw it in a few of his carries. Yeah. He still got pretty good footwork for a guy of his size, but he was the one who was taking the first team reps on uh, day one of preseason camp. And, you know, Dade spoke in his press conference today after camp saying, you know, not to read too much into who's getting the first reps now. It's all just about getting these guys all these reps and getting some, especially the younger guys, as much reps as possible after kind of a missed practice time last year. But I'm I'm fully in on day one starter, Mayan Williams. Obviously, you know, Travion Henderson, the five-star freshman, is also in that battle alongside Master Teague. So there's a lot going on in the running back room. And it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But, you know, as we get closer and closer to the season, I'm sure we'll have a better picture of what the depth chart's going to look like at that position, especially. Yeah. You know, I know that you're the president of the Mayan Williams fan club. How much do you read into him running with the first team right now? Do you think that that is a potential sign of things to come? Or do you think it's just him earning reps that he did not earn last year? Kind of where do you fall on that? Or how, how interested are you in the outcome of it? Yeah, I don't actually think that like in Ryan Day's mind right now or Tony Alford's for that matter that, you know, Mayan Williams is running back one on this depth chart. But I do think that they are very intrigued with what they saw from him in limited reps last year. They want to see more of him, what he could do, you know, against like talent like Ohio State's starting defense. So I think, you know, giving him some of those first team reps early on in camp, they're really trying to get a feel for what kind of back he is and how much he actually can contribute in 2021 so I don't think he's like really ahead of the pack but I do think like Day said it's about getting these young guys reps and I think that they're very intrigued by, by what Mil- uh, Mayan Williams has to offer them and how he's kind of different from the rest of their backs just based on his size and style and I, I think that getting him more of these reps against starting defenses because you know if you put him with the threes and you know he's, he's going against Ohio State's third string defense you're not really gonna learn that much about him so by having him go against the top guys on the other end of the ball it really gives you a better sense of what kind of, you know, how much ta- he's obviously talented. He didn't come in as a very highly regarded recruit. He was kind of more of an afterthought in that Ohio State class after they lost out on some guys like Bijan Robinson and the like in that. Uh, I don't know specifically what year that was offhand, but whatever year that was, he was kind of like a, a last minute ad. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't really think too much of him. He was more of a depth piece. But it does look like he'll be he's going to have more of an impact on this roster than I think he or anyone thought going into, you know, even before last season. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to play a role. I think that him earning the first team reps right now is probably primarily due to load management for Master Teague and maybe even Travion Henderson, too, as he acclimates to the game. Mayan Williams is kind of in the middle, right? He's not a a true freshman. He had experience with the team last year. But like you said, it's a lot of time between now and the Minnesota game, although it doesn't seem like it three to four weeks, a lot of practice time in between. So this could just be something where he did not get that opportunity in 2020 and we're seeing him get those reps now. But by him getting those reps, maybe he looks really good. Maybe he shows out and he balls out against the first team offense and makes it more of a competition than many kind of thought it would be heading into this season. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot that Ohio State could do with their running backs. I think their room is very diverse as it is deep because you have a guy, you know, Mayan Williams is obviously this bowling ball type of running back. You have a guy in Evan Pryor, a freshman, who is more of like a receiving back. You have Travion Henderson, who's kind of the, you know, do-it-all five-star guy. And then you have Master Teague, who is kind of more like a downhill kind of guy like if you put the ball he's I think he'd be a really good like goal line back because you just put the ball in his hands and have him run in a straight line and if you saw some of the pictures of him coming to the team hotel this week he is a massive massive <laughs> human being so you just throw that guy on down the middle of the line and it, I think he'll be a good goal line back so I think they have a bunch of guys that all do different things they all do a bunch of stuff well and it, it should be fun to watch I kind of hope they don't like we've seen Ohio State in the past kind of run with these two running back systems. You know, we saw it with JK and Mike Weber. And I just, I don't really think guys really get into a, a groove that way when you're going kind of series by series. But I think it could work out better if you're using these guys kind of as change of pace or like different situational roles instead of having, you know, okay, this is Travion series. Okay, this is Masters series. I just think it'd be better if, you know, every guy knows their role and they're all kind of working together if that's how you want to do it. Or if you just have a guy that, 
ends up at, at the end of camp as a clear number one, which I think at the end of the day, Travion Henderson might wind up doing, uh, then, then just have him take the ball and then you get, have these other guys kind of give him his, his breath when he needs it. But I just think that the way they've handled the, these multiple running back backfields in the past couple of years, I, I haven't been a huge fan of. So I'm hoping they do a little bit better in that regard moving forward. Did you do you remember those like Josh, like the yeah. the two running back system? How do you feel about that kind of like style that they've done? Yeah, you kind of hit on it right before I was about to say something. I think that they probably will use these backs in a situational manner. Um, as much as you may not like that, I'm not the biggest fan of it either. But you kind of hit on the fact that they all have different skill sets. There's plenty of overlap, obviously, but you've got the bruisers, you've got the receiving back, you've got a bit of a do-it-all sort of guy. So I think it is going to be dependent upon the game plan and the opponent. I think that if we run the ball more or maybe it's a bad weather game or something like that, it is going to be Master Teague and Mayan Williams sort of taking the pressure off of whomever ends up starting at quarterback. If we are looking for more of that air it out or perimeter-oriented game plan, then maybe it's a lot more of Travion Henderson and even potentially Evan Pryor once he gets used to it as well. So I'm with you in the sense that I am not the biggest fan, but I think that unlike some years in the past, Ohio State does not have a clear-cut guy or a presumed guy that they are going to go to. They don't have J.K. Dobbins. Um, we even saw it last year. They thought Master Teague was going to be that guy, and then Trey Sermon came on. So I think we're going to see more of it. But unlike in years past, maybe it works out better this year because of the various skill sets. If that is a non-answer to your question, but um, still a prediction of how things will shake out. No, yeah, it totally makes sense to me. And, you know, that that's a good point you bring up, too, about, like, how the, the starting quarterback kind of matters mm-hmm. because as we've seen Ohio State's run game differ, you know, when Dwayne Haskins was back there, he was kind of a, a statue quarterback. He's not a guy that's really going to run the ball all that much, contrary to what, you know, Stephen A. Smith would want you to believe heading into that draft. But like they 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 didn't run, they didn't run the ball as well because of you know they didn't there was no threat of the quarterback run and so their style of running had to kind of change that year to fit Haskins' style and so now they have a couple different quarterbacks like if if Stroud is a starter he's a guy that can move pretty well you know we saw him rip off a long touchdown against uh, Michigan State last year in garbage time so he's a guy that could run kind of like Justin Fields but if you have a guy out there like Kyle McCord who's you know he could run a little bit too but he's not as as big of a runner as C.J. Stroud you know and I think those are the two front runners for the job at the moment. So the, depending on who starts at quarterback, it could also have a big impact on who starts at running back. I don't want to get too much into the quarterback competition right now because yeah. I don't think we really have learned that much. Stroud was kind of the, the guy taking first team reps at the first practice, but Day is kind of saying, you know, they don't really have a feel yet. They think by the end of this weekend that they might have a better indication of what that depth chart's starting to look like and how the quarterbacks are starting to shake up. Obviously, you know, Quinn Ewers isn't even on campus yet. I don't think he'll factor much into the competition, but it'll be interesting to see him working out with the other guys. But yeah, I think the quarterback is important for the running back position as well. And then obviously you can't have a good run game without a, a solid offensive line. And luckily for Ohio State, they don't have too much competition on the offensive line. There is one spot that's going to be up for grabs. So obviously you have on the ends, you have Thayer Mudford and Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, probably the best offensive tackle combination in the country. Uh, you have the five-star Paris Johnson Jr., former five-star prospect, who's going to slide over from his natural tackle position to guard, so I'm sure he'll be just fine there. And then you have uh, probably uh, Harry Miller at center, which is his natural position. He's been playing guard the last year. And so then it really leaves you with one other guard spot. There's a couple of guys in contention right now. Uh, the, the the thought going into camp was that it was really a, a two-man battle between Matt Jones and Luke Whippler. But, you know, in the first practice we saw of Ohio State, Josh Fryer was getting some reps with the one, so he's another name to watch there. And then obviously Dewan Jones, who is, you know, a fan favorite at, at six foot eight, three sixty. Uh, he's naturally a tackle at that size. He's a massive, massive mountain of a human being. It'd be really funny to watch him line up at guard just because like how like the size difference along the line would be crazy. But I mean he's he's gotten a lot of rave reviews from everyone in practice. He's a lot of fun. He's a really seems like a really good guy and he really seems like he enjoys learning the position. He was a guy that they took on more of a project guy and he seems to have developed more of that. I think Ryan Day joked in his press conference today that like uh Dewan Jones is the biggest skill position guy they have just because he's able to do <laughs> so much. And so, you know, it'll be it's another interesting battle to watch on the offensive line. But I think regardless of who's out there, Ohio State's offensive line this season is going to be very, very strong. 
Yeah, I could not agree more. I talked about some of those guys in last week's column and the one coming up uh, that I did too, where I'm with you. I think that our bookends at tackle may be the best duo in the country, and they're amongst the most experienced. I mean, Thayer Munford has started nearly 50 games. Petit Frere was, I think, wildly underrated last year. I thought he was really, really solid at right tackle. The good news about the guard, or the good thing about the guard position, I think that they will be protected or incubated in a sense by those other guys around them. All of the other guys have a decent amount of experience. Whoever you put next to the tackles, they're going to get help from those guys and the experience that they have. And then Harry Miller in the middle, while he has not peaked by any means, I think that he's going to be a lot better this year. He's going to be in his natural position, playing center. So whoever they settle on, I think we'll have that added advantage of the guys around him. And I'm really interested in Dewan Jones. You know, you mentioned the size and you're right. It's not a traditional uh, guard body type, but when you think of guys in the trenches, like I think of like a, uh, a Larry Allen that used to play for the Cowboys. He was not nearly as tall, but he was just an enormous, enormous man. And Dewan Jones is a mountain of a man of a man himself so if he does look good and he does slide in there, you, you know, who knows? They could adapt their style a little bit, run it up the, the gut a little bit more than they maybe initially planned to. But I think they have a lot of options. And Josh Fryer, too, kind of a surprise, but he was a solid yet unspe- unspectacular recruit in his own right. And I think it's going to be a best man wins sort of thing. There is no predetermined starter coming in. That is the one position that I think is really up in the air, as you alluded to. Yeah, and I think regardless of what happens, it's going to be really good to see. Like, they have all these guys now that could kind of move around. You know, you have, you know, Paris Johnson Jr. is a natural tackle. He's moving into guard, so he could play both. Dewan Jones could play both. You know, guys like Matt Jones and uh, Luke Whippler, if they do want to be backups to Josh Fryer, are very good at both guard spots. So you have a lot of moving pieces and guys that you could, you know, if you need to keep guys fresh or if there's, God forbid, an injury or anything like that, Ohio State's offensive line has a lot of depth and it's a lot of versatile depth. And to your point of Harry Miller, yeah, he did. He struggled a bit last year. There's no no doubt about that. He was obviously the, you know, there was a lot of uh, fingers pointing to him at certain times in the season of, of kind of the problems on the offensive line. But, you know, he like you like you said, he was a natural center. He was actually a former five-star center, so mm-hmm. it's not like he's just some scrub. Like he was a he was a number 2 center in the country in the 2019 class. So, he's got talent. And now hopefully when he goes back to center, uh, he's kind of able to put it more together. It was kind of odd last year when there was that game against Michigan State where Ohio State was missing all of its offensive linemen. Harry Miller went back to center, and he was having troubles with snapping the ball. And I don't know if he just hadn't done it as much because he was playing guard or whatever, but it was kind of weird to see considering he is a natural center. But I'm sure, I haven't heard any issues at a camp. I'm sure he's doing just fine back there. It's what he played in high school. He knows how to snap the ball. He'll be fine at center. And so that's really it for Ohio State's offense. There's really not going to be any position battles among receivers and tight ends. We kind of know who those guys are and what the the pecking order is there. But on the defensive side of the ball, that is not quite the story, as there was a lot of of ground to be gained for various young guys on this defense, especially with all the talent they lost after the end of last season. Uh, They obviously lost all of their starting linebackers. Uh, They lost Sean Wade to the NFL draft as well. And, you know, the secondary was a problem last year. There's a bunch of fresh faces out there. Uh, is there anything out there, Josh, that you're specifically looking at position battle-wise, whether it be, you know, a corner, a linebacker, or the bullet, the ends, uh, anything you're looking at specifically? All of the above. <laughs> I think that... Um, it's a good answer. I like it. <laughs> I think, like you said, there's so much up in the air right now due to the inexperience that I think early on we could see chalk, right? Um, Gant and T. Mitchell are presumed to be the starters at linebacker. I think you're probably going to see that early on. Uh, I'm not sure about the bullet position, but we know that um, Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman are sort of the the two in the battle there. In the secondary, Cameron Brown's experience, he's coming off an injury. I think you see him out there, obviously. Marcus Williamson, Josh Pryor in the back. I think that... It's going to be led by experience, but then from there, how do the younger guys acclimate? How do they get used to the game? We're going to see some inexperienced guys out there and maybe some growing pains, but it's 
it has to happen. They have to start turning over this new leaf, putting these new guys in because of all the experience they lost. So I think that's probably, I don't know, I guess quarterback is definitely the most um, interesting camp battle. But defense, along the defense, there are so many positions up in the air right now that I'm really, really interested to see how that shakes out. I think that there are no foregone conclusions. They're going to put the guys out there that have the most experience, but we can see a lot of turnover early at positions. We could see Ronnie Hickman take that bullet position and run with it. We could see a guy like Cody Simon come in and take over a linebacker position because of the other guys that are unproven. So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of wild to think about what we lost from last year, but I'm excited about all of them. I We talked about it last week. I'm excited about the talent that they have brought in via recruiting. I, I think it would be really neat to see some true freshmen get in the secondary, at least get some playing time. I alluded to that last week as well. I think we will. Um, but if I had to settle on one kind of position or one battle, it would be linebacker. We know that Dallas Gant and Team Mitchell – have experience on the roster. They've played a ton of special teams, but they've not played a whole lot of linebacker. So that's the one I'm looking at. You know, is Steel Chambers going to get an opportunity? Is Cody Simon the next, gosh, A.J. Hawk, for example? You know, um, Cody Simon was a high recruit, but they didn't really envision envision him uh, coming in so early and playing such a pivotal role at linebacker, he may do that by default or by his own doing if he looks really good in practice. So linebacker is the one that I'm going to keep an extra eye on to see who stands out and who is going to probably call signals for the defense come Minnesota week one. Yeah, for sure. And like you kind of said, it, it's a very exciting time because there's a lot of you know good stuff that could happen. It's also probably the most like uncertain I've been about an Ohio State defense mm-hmm. going into a season just because we have so many of these fresh faces and, and these guys are all, you know, a lot of them are very highly touted former recruits and all this very like talked highly about in, in uh, preseason camp and all this stuff. But we really just don't know until we see them out on the field. But there's a bunch of guys that I'm really looking forward to seeing finally get some opportunities. Uh, I think Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young are both very fun options at the bullet. I think they're both they both play a different style that they could use them like both in, in different ways because Ronnie Hickman is more of the the safety guy and Craig Young is more of the linebacker. So I think they both have their strengths and you could use them both at the bullet to your to your own benefit in, in different, you know, in a obviously passing down and obvious running down, stuff like that. So you could use them kind of situationally. Uh, yeah, like some of the guys you talk about at linebacker, uh, Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant have been the, the projected starters, but then there's guys like Cody Simon and Court Williams who could obviously play a role there as well. Court Williams. Uh, the corners are... You hit on Court Williams. Kurt, Court Williams. Um, Kerry Coombs has had a lot of positive things to say about Court. His work ethic, he has mentioned him as one of, if not the hardest workers on the team, and I'm glad you brought him up because I almost forgot about him. I'm excited to see what what he can do out there because of what the coaching staff has had to say. Um, again, when Kerry Coombs mentions you as one of the hardest workers in the room, that means something, especially coming from a guy who is high energy, go, go, go all the time like Coach Coombs is. I do want to see what Court Williams can turn into, whether that's at linebacker or maybe he even plays a little bit of bullet too because he's a really good athlete. Um, so I can see him maybe gravitating towards either position. That's a name to look out for, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's obviously coming off a tough injury. He tore his ACL mm-hmm. in practice last year, and he but he was one of the first two guys in that class to have their black stripe removed, and they were really really high on him. And I think you know it, if he wasn't hurt coming into this year, I think he would almost definitely have a starting spot, whether it's at bullet or linebacker. The coaching staff has had nothing but great things to say about him, both as you know, as a player, as a person, his work ethic and all that good stuff. So he is a very interesting guy to look at moving forward. And if he is hopefully healthy, I think he will have a big impact this season, uh, regardless of where they put him in the backfield. But there's still there's a lot of questions out there, but there are a lot of young guys. I saw today Ryan Day was talking about you know Denzel Burke, one of the freshman defensive backs they had in. They said he doesn't even look like he's a freshman; like he looks like he's a, a vet out there. He's he's doing really well in practice. Uh, we've heard uh, Cam Brown is coming off an injury as well, but I've heard nothing but good things about him as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of him having a bunch of pass breakups in practice and making a bunch of plays. So that's good to see coming off that Achilles injury he suffered early last year against Penn State. 
And there's a lot of options. You know, Seven Banks is probably going to be your top guy. But outside of him, you know, there's really not a guaranteed starter spot. You got guys like Cam Brown, Marcus Williamson, you know, the freshman, Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, all these different guys out there at corner that could throw out there. I think Lathan Ransom is going to play a big role as kind of your slot guy. Uh, but there, there's a lot of there's a lot of hope out there. There's a lot of guys that are formerly high star guys that have kind of maybe sat behind some guys the last couple of years, especially a linebacker where they've sat behind you know that trio of linebackers for what felt like ten years, um, and that they these guys are itching to play. And then obviously you know the defensive line is I think is going to be absolutely filthy with your you know returning starters and Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. Plus you got your pair of five star freshmen in Jack Sawyer, who by everyone's estimation is one of the next Boses, and then the delayed addition of JT Tuimala who has been, you know, he's just starting off practice with Ohio State and he's already, you know, the coaches are saying how crazy it is. He's, he, they say he, he's playing at like 275, but he's moving like 250, which sounds very Chase Youngy to me. And obviously you don't want to make that comparison to a guy that hasn't played a snap of college football. But if you're, you know, if you've got two guys, two freshmen coming in on defensive line that are drawing comparisons to to the Boses and uh, the and Chase Youngs of the past, I think you're, you're looking pretty good when those are your projected backups at defensive end. Yeah, and hopefully the defensive line... Is well, we assume it's going to be a strength, and hopefully they're able to cover up some of the warts, I guess you could call them, um, of the younger guys on the back end. Hopefully they can gel and play well enough that they kind of give these guys a reprieve while they get used to the position and used to the game. So I think that they will be our biggest advantage on defense going into the season, and hopefully the the rest of the guys can improve around them and, and really settle in. I think that the one thing you said, hope, I think that that's a key factor. And hopefully we will just be pleasantly surprised. You mentioned it. These guys are all high recruits. They were studs coming into Ohio State. They just haven't gotten the opportunity. So they could be the second coming of, you know, the A.J. Hawks, the James Laurinaitis's, uh, Malik Hooker on the back end, throw out any number of guys. Hopefully they just need that opportunity and that exposure to become the next in the great line of of whatever position they play. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously not every single one of these guys is going to hit their their maximum potential and be the next, you know, great Ohio State legend on defense, but you know, that's a very very high ceiling for this defense, I would say. Yeah. And even if just a couple of these guys hit, you're looking at a much improved defense than we saw. Last year, and like I said, you know, obviously a lot of that was the pandemic, lack of practice. You know, guys kind of the I, the scheme was also very bad last year. I don't want to like take away from that. Like, there the practice issues were were good and all, but like the the four four defense against Alabama was really bad, and like just some of their scheme things they did were not the brightest, especially against teams that like to pass a lot, like Indiana and Alabama and stuff like that. So I think the move to the four two five will do them well there. And kind of like you said, having a better pass rush obviously helps out the back end of your defense. I think that was another one of the big problems last year that the pass rush wasn't quite what it was expected to be and as a result you know the corners had to play you know the longer that your quarterback has time to throw out there the longer you're the, the longer the quarterback has time to throw the longer that the corners have to kind of stick to their receivers and make plays out there so it gets a lot tougher for them so if you put together a better pass rush this year it'll definitely help out the younger guys in the secondary so I think all, all together it should be an improved product even if we don't quite know you know, which faces we're going to see out there come September 2nd. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I have optimism. I think that they're going to look good given some time. It's just going to, there are going to be some some stumbles in the, begun, in the beginning. If I had to be completely honest with you, I won't be surprised by that. But I think all in all, um, they will learn and the coaching staff hopefully has learned from some of their past past mistakes in game planning They need to custom fit it to the personnel that they have, as opposed to what I feel like last year, they, they looked at who they had, all of these guys had experience and they were like, okay, well, what are, what do they do? Well, where can we kind of put them in a, into a good position with these new guys coming in, you can kind of learn their various skill sets and, and change your game plan. That's what they didn't do last year. They didn't change it often enough when they were kind of getting beat up by Indiana or Alabama, like you said, they're like, hey, these are the guys we have. We've got to stick with it. What can we sort of throw against the wall? Now you can see all these guys as they develop and kind of custom fit your game plan to them. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully it all kind of works out in the end. I think that it will. Yeah, and, and not adjusting your defense is how you wind up with Tough Borland covering Devonta Smith. But that is a, a story for another day. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. But as we as we discuss all of these these young and new guys, there's also a bunch of returning and uh, veteran guys on this team that are very good players. And they are there's a bunch of Buckeyes this past week that were named to some big individual award watch lists. And I know Josh wrote up a story last week on part one of some of these awards. He's got another one coming out later today when you're listening to this. So definitely check that out as well. But Josh, I'll let you kind of take the lead a bit here. What are some of the uh, some Ohio State players that are kind of up for some of these big awards, and and I know in your first piece it was kind of more of the ones that you don't think will really are realistic or attainable for some guys. But obviously anything could happen. But some of the awards are more geared towards other positions or stuff like that. So what are some of the uh, the big names that are up for some of these like big uh, big awards for individual bases? Yeah, you know the team was very well represented from a positional standpoint. No quarterback was nominated for a preseason award. Not a surprise. We don't know who that's going to be. Same kind of goes for running back. It would be very funny though if, like, on the Heisman like watch list, it was just like number five was like whoever starts at quarterback for Ohio State. Like that would be a funny addition to a watch list. Well, yeah, you know, I had looked at preseason betting odds a while back, and at one point, both C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller were about the same because the the voters or the prognosticators, I guess, is a better word for it. They were like, hey. Whoever takes the role is going to be successful. They're going to put up stats, blah, blah, blah. But that'll get narrowed down as we get closer to the season. The ones that I hit on in the in the first column were what I did is I ranked them from least likely to most likely to take home these awards. And just because I said that a player was amongst the least likely, that doesn't mean they aren't talented. It doesn't mean that they cannot be or will not be an All-American because I didn't factor that in. But for example, the first one that I kind of touched on is the least likely. And I think that's Chris Olave for the Walter Camp Player of the Year Award. The Camp Player of the Year Award is essentially a uh, a less prestigious Heisman Trophy. But often the Heisman Trophy winner sweeps these awards. They will win the Heisman, the Camp, and the Maxwell. But Chris Olave is nominated for the Walter Camp Player of the Year Award. This has been traditionally um, dominated by quarterbacks. Uh, I had it, I think, out of the last 10 years, a quarterback won this award eight times. It's sort of like the MVP of the NFL. It is a quarterback-driven award. So I looked at Olave's nomination as a recognition of his skill and his stature, you know, in NCAA football. But if you look at last year, Devontae Smith won the award. He swept all of the player of the year awards. He had 1,800 yards and 23 touchdowns. The reason I don't see Olave winning this is because I do not see a season like that from Olave. I think that with a new quarterback, a new running game, however that shakes out, and plenty of other targets on the team. I just don't see it where he gets that sort of volume. I think that he has a great season, and I would not be the least bit surprised if he's named an All-American at the end of the year, but I just don't see that stat line from an Ohio State receiver. He would have to have the best season in Ohio State history by a wide margin to match that production from Devontae Smith last year. And then previously, the last wide receiver to win this award was Larry Fitzgerald. That was all the way back in 2003. And in that year, he had 92 catches, uh, about 1,700 yards, and 20, 
two touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. So you see the sort of season it it would take from a wide receiver. I just don't see that happening for Olave. Where are you at on that one? Do you think I'm crazy? Do you think he balls out and sets all sorts of Ohio State records? Or do you sort of agree that he and Garrett Wilson are going to play off of each other and we'll see some guys have some uh, unpredictable seasons from like a Jeremy Ruckert or a whomever that all eats into that target share and kind of takes away some of his opportunity? Yeah, so kind of, kind of like you talked about in a bunch of these like awards in your in your first piece, a lot of the awards that are like kind of best player, so like Olave up for the Walter Camp, you know, Olave and Wilson both up for the Maxwell, uh, Wilson up for the Horning. A lot of these awards are just like you said, dominated by quarterbacks and and players that touch the ball a lot more, so running backs as well. And you know, outside of Devontae Smith, who was like a transcendent talent in in college football, like that, he had the type of season that won't be duplicated for quite some time with just the level of talent he had in the system he was in, where they just fed him the ball constantly, and he was the clear top guy on the offense, go to guy. He could do everything, and like he was just so so good. As Ohio State found out the hard way, um, I don't think you know when you're when Devonta Smith and Larry Fitzgerald are the only two that have won it in the last decade. Uh, it's not super realistic to, and Fred Gerald wasn't even last decade. It was 2003, like you said. So that it's it's not realistic for an Ohio State receiver to hit that, especially because they're both like Olave and Wilson are on the same team, and they're gonna split the, kind of the, the receptions. It's not like you know Devonta Smith had other good receivers on that team too, but he was a clear number one guy. Whereas Olave and Wilson are more of a one A and one B kind of thing. They're both very talented. They both have their own different skill sets, and they're both gonna be you know I think they're both gonna be future first round NFL draft picks, but. For an award like that, it just is such a quarterback or running back heavy award because they just touch the ball so much more often. Whereas a wide receiver, you know, you might get, you know, eight to 10 catches a game if you're lucky, especially in this offense with all the talent they have at wide receivers. So I, I think those awards specifically are going to be tough for these guys to achieve. And I know you have a piece coming out later today where you kind of discuss more of the wide receiver specific ones and you're a lot more optimistic on that sense for, for that, those kind of things. But I agree with what you're saying here about how these like just best player kind of awards are very tough for any wide receiver to win. Not not it's not a knock on either of these guys by any means. They're both very, very good wide receivers. It's just in the scope of college football at large, it's a very tough thing to achieve if you're not a quarterback. Yeah, you know, I gotta say it warms my heart that you read my piece and in, in my pre write. That means a lot from my co host and my partner. Uh you know, you touched on Oh yeah, no, I I got I got I got pre I, I know the story before it's even out. I already I've already read it and I, I got the 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 first look, first glance. So I'm, I'm, I'm breaking news here. Not really, but I, I know what it's out. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. And you touched on the Maxwell. That was the one I was going to move to next. You mentioned Olave and Wilson are both nominated for another Player of the Year award. And just another sort of factor that goes into the skill positions for Ohio State. Not only is the bar set so high by a Devontae Smith or Larry Fitzgerald, but it's going to be spread out this year. I truly believe that. You mentioned 1A and 1B. I would agree with that. I actually think um, Wilson ends the year as kind of the more productive or more glorified wide receiver. I think he sort of takes over as the alpha. But I expect a, a big season from Jeremy Rucker, too. I'll touch on him in the next column. I think he is going to... I wouldn't say drastically improve. I think that his opportunities will drastically increase. I think that we could see three, four, five, six hundred yards from him. You've got a plethora of freshmen and underclassmen wide receivers. They're going to get playing time. They're going to catch some balls and make some plays as well. So I just don't see one receiver dominating to such an extent to where they'll win one of these awards. I think that if you, if you were to see that, that means that somebody underperformed or, God forbid, got injured. And so I think you'll see good seasons from a lot of different pass catchers and not a transcendent season from any one of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And then like you kind of talked about with the, the Horning Award, which Garrett Wilson's up for, that's more of like a, a versatility thing. And while Garrett Wilson is, is very good, and I guess his versatility would be that he could play the outside and the slot. I don't know if that's the kind of player they're really looking for for that award. I think they're looking for more of a guy that, you know, maybe runs like like a guy that was kind of like Curtis Samuel that does a little running back, does a little H-back, wide receiver, punt returns, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Garrett Wilson has shown that he's a pretty decent punt returner. I personally don't want him out there returning punts because yeah. I don't want him getting hurt returning punts when he's your 1A, 1B wide receiver. So I don't think they'll have him doing that this year if they're smart because that wouldn't, you know, you don't want to put him in position to get injured more than he already is as a wide receiver. 
So I just think, you know, a lot of that, he's too good of a wide receiver to be more versatile. So I think that works against him. And I think you wrote a little bit about like that in your write-up of it, that he's just, you know, he's too good for his own good to, to kind of win that award because he's not kind of this, you know, he's not like a, a gadget player. He's not a guy that you're going to throw at H-back or run like jet sweeps with it because it's just, that's not his game. He's got great hands. He's a great route runner. He gets open and you're just going to bomb it to him down the field and he's going to catch touchdown. So that's another award where kind of the, the aspect of the award itself kind of works against the player. Yeah, you summed it up perfectly. I don't think that we'll see him a lot returning kicks. If he does, I think that it will be a big moment in a big game. Otherwise, I believe you're doing a disservice to your team by putting arguably your best wide receiver out there um, to return kicks. Now, we know that Ohio State puts an emphasis on special teams, and a lot of their guys do play on – kick coverage and punt block, punt return, things like that. But it's just so easy to get other skill position guys out there. We've seen DeMario McCall return kicks for a decade now. Who knows who else gets out there? Maybe as a freshman or an underclassman, you could put a DB back there. You've got Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Nigba, Emeka Egbuka. Um, you could throw really anybody back there and have the potential for a big play, which is what you're looking for in special teams. There are just too many options to focus in on one of the best players on your roster. So I agree with you on that one. And the last couple of awards that I hit on in the first piece were the the Nagurski Trophy and the Bednarik Award. Zach Harrison was nominated for both of those from a preseason standpoint. And then Seven Banks was also nominated for the Nagurski and the Thorpe Award. Uh, those first couple I mentioned are defensive player specific, sort of an overall uh, thing. And the Thorpe Award is specific to defensive backs. Most people, most fans of college football are familiar with those awards. I just don't see, I'm not saying it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination, but I haven't seen enough from Harrison or Banks yet to really call them a contender for any of these awards. I wouldn't be shocked, but Zach Harrison has been, I'd say a little bit of a slow developing player. I don't want that to come across as a knock. I think he has a ton of potential and we'll see it this year, Um, but we haven't seen it yet. To win the Nagurski or the Bednarik, you need to end the season with 10, 12, 14 sacks. I think he could reach that number, but he's going to be part of a rotation. He is going to be one of four or five or six skilled pass rushers. So I don't know if that's in the cards for Zach. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope he proves me wrong and becomes the next Chase Young or whomever. But um, I'm just I'm dubious of that because of the rotation and because of all the skill they have there. And as far as Seven Banks goes... The Nagurski, again, it's an overall defensive player award. He's a great cover corner, but he has two career interceptions, sort of has that uh, that Jeff Okuda syndrome. Jeff Okuda did not have an interception until his junior year, and then he really broke out. But even if seven banks were to break out and you know accumulate two, three, four, five interceptions, Jeff Okuda was not – seriously considered for the Nagurski when he was in school. So that one's just sort of tough for me when it comes to somebody who is not an elite pass rusher already or a guy in the secondary who has already made a ton of plays and racked up the interceptions. The Thorpe Award is a big maybe for me. I think that both of these guys were nominated on their potential. But again, I just I need to see it. And even if Seven Banks is a great cover corner, if you're not racking up those um, those sexy stats, you're not going to be considered as a finalist or at the end of the year for the award. So with both of these guys, like I touched on, the potential is there, but I haven't seen it yet. So I sort of put them in the middle. Um, absolutely possible that these guys – take home some hardware at the beginning of the year, but I need to see it first. I need to see them make take a big leap before I would put them in like a favorite category. Do you do you agree with that or am I a little bullish on their potential? 
No, I mean, I'm willing to take it a step further. I would be absolutely floored if Seven Banks won the Thorpe Award. Okay. And that's nothing against that's nothing against Seven Banks personally, but like you kind of alluded to, Jeff Okuda didn't win the Thorpe Award. I thought Jeff Okuda definitely should have won the Thorpe Award over Grant Delpit in 2019. Grant Delpit is a very good player. I just thought that Jeff Okuda had a, a better season, personally. And, you know, if, if someone like, you know, a Denzel Ward or Malik Hooker, none of these guys won the Thorpe Award when they were at Ohio State. The last person at Ohio State to win the Thorpe Award was Malcolm Jenkins in 2008. And with all the cornerback talent Ohio State's had, uh, if none of those guys have won it, I just don't see how Seven Banks is going to wind up winning it. I, I don't think Seven Banks is a bad player. I think he's very good, and I think he will have a better season than he had last year. But I also don't think that his ceiling is quite as high as a Jeff Okuda or a Malik Hooker in the secondary. And so I think it would just be very tough. In a conference like the Big Ten, it's kind of tough to win the Thorpe Award because, like you said, you kind of need to have those interceptions because even if you're really good in the Big Ten, there's not a lot of very good quarterbacks, so they're not even going to attempt to test you and like throw your way. So you're just not going to have the stats. And a lot of the people that vote on these kind of awards don't really watch a lot of the games. They just base a lot of things on stats, and when you don't have those to back yourself up, it's it's going to be nearly impossible in the award. So I think, you know, the ceiling for seven banks in a season in the Big Ten is probably like three or four picks just based on the level of talent on the other side of the ball and the way that they're going to treat him as the top corner. And so I just don't think the Thorpe Award is, is at all likely. I do think, like, I do agree with what you said that these both of these guys have kind of been nominated based on uh, potential. It's not that they've shown that they're these, you know, top of the line elite talents just yet, but they are guys that have that have that potential in them. And if they reach their ceiling, could be those guys. Like you said, we're still kind of waiting on the breakout season for Zach Harrison. I think it was a little, people have been a little unfair to him just because I think that, you know, he was kind of hyped up as like the next Chase Young when he was so young. And he's only, he's going into year three now. We'll see what happens. Hopefully he has his breakout year finally as a former five star, but he and Seven Banks are both very good players. They are going to have, I'm hoping they both have very good seasons. But yeah, I think these are both kind of these are these are tough asks for guys who haven't really done it before. That's another thing that goes into these awards too. Is a lot of it are guys that have done it for multiple seasons, and that's kind of how you get the recognition to start with. So having not had a huge year in 2020, either of them, I think it'd be really tough unless they have like really really spectacular seasons in 2021 to win either of these awards. But like you said, you have another piece coming out later today with a bunch more awards, and uh, you're a little more optimistic on those, as am I, as I, as I, uh, you know, as I tease that piece that nobody else has read besides myself yet. Uh, there are definitely awards in there that Ohio State players, national awards that uh, players could definitely come home with and uh, that are more likely than the ones that we've kind of talked about to this point. Yeah, I, I, just a little bit of foreshadowing. I think that there are a couple guys on both sides of the ball each that should be considered favorites for some of their individual awards. So, um, you know, hopefully everyone reads that. I know you have. I appreciate the good feedback on that. Ohio State will be represented, whether it's on all American teams or with this individual hardware. This first edition was just sort of the guys who are nominated, but are more of the long shot variety. And uh, but again, maybe they'll prove me wrong. And I would gladly eat crow if they do. If somebody like Seven Banks goes home with a Thorpe Award, that will mean that he had a truly transcendent season and uh, and Big Ten teams were, were dumb enough to throw at him. Yeah, if Seven Banks wants to post a clip of me saying I would be floored if he won the Thorpe Award on his Twitter after he wins it, I'm all for it. You know, throw it right back in my face. I'll be very happy for him if he wins it. Court board just, material. You know, I didn't think it was likely. So, yeah, put it on the bulletin board. Put my put the sound clip up on his laptop. I hope he listens to it every day. And then I hope he goes out and has the best season of any Ohio State cornerback ever. But... Before we wrap things up today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, former Ohio State basketball player Dwayne Washington, who played his first summer league game with the Pacers today. He signed a two-way deal with them after going undrafted in the NBA draft, and he absolutely balled the heck out. He went 8 of 9, led the team with 23 points. He was 5 of 5 from three-point range. He had the kind of game that, like, you know, sometimes when Dwayne Washington Washington was at Ohio State, there would be some of those times where it's like, oh, Dwayne Washington's on today. Like, the the basket's looking like an ocean to him today. Mm -hmm. And that kind of seemed like it's how it was in his first summer league action. So it's really good to see for him. We're excited for his you know, future NBA career. Hopefully he's very successful and makes a ton of money. Uh, he was a very good player at Ohio State, and it looks like he's starting off his, you know, NBA career on the right foot. Yeah, at the very least, it shows that he's he's not afraid of the moment. He's not afraid of the stage. He's obviously a bit of an older prospect, but game one to go out there against fellow NBA prospects and journeymen and all that sorts of, um, all the sorts of guys that are in the G League and playing in summer camp and things like that, it was impressive. You mentioned it. He's he can be a feast or famine kind of guy, but 
in the NBA especially, teams are looking for that. Teams are looking for somebody who is able to come off the bench and provide a spark or, you know, I, honestly, I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter down the road. I think he's a bench guy, but that, but that bench spark is very important to teams. You look at a guy like Lou Williams now with the Atlanta Hawks, he's done it for years. He's won six man of the year. He's been in the league for 15 years now. Um, he is a six-man extraordinaire. He has points and offense off the bench. I think that that could be Dwayne Washington's role, but he's going to need to continue to show that part of his game and show his potential. The NBA has a number of guys every year who are summer league superstars. They average 15, 20 points a game. They get all sorts of shots, but... Um, some of those games can be glorified rec league games. So he'll need to do it on a consistent basis and show that he has an NBA skill set, which I think he does. Hopefully he can continue and grow and uh, kind of build off of this strong showing. So big shout out to him. Great, great start. And hopefully we see some more of him as the summer kind of goes on. Yeah, for sure. Like you say, you know, you don't want to read too much into the first summer league game. Obviously, no one's expecting him to go 5 of 5 from 3 every time he goes out there, but it's clearly a great start for him. And kind of like you alluded to, Dwayne Washington's never never had a lack of talent, and he's certainly never had a lack of confidence out on the court. So it's good to see that both of those are shining through in his first action with the Pacers. And, you know, his biggest thing is just consistency. He's got to be able to do it on a more consistent basis. And if he could put together, you know, a bunch of good games this summer, hopefully he earns a spot on the team with the Pacers. Like you said, probably, probably more of a bench guy, but who knows down the road. But we're rooting for him. We're hoping he he does well, and I'm hoping he keeps balling out in the summer league at least because it'll be fun to watch. And it's it's like you know that uh that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like pointing at the TV like yeah. that's every time you see Dwayne Washington on the court that's like what I picture like all Ohio State fans doing like hey I know that guy, but uh yeah he's gonna so have a ton uh, of support. Uh, he's gonna have a ton of support whether oh, he makes it or not. He was just he was such a great guy here at Ohio State. He he grew up and he matured as a ball player and just as an individual. So. Um, yeah, we'll all be rooting for him. And if he does make it, you know, Gene, you and I can go and do a, uh, a road version of the pod, go catch him. in. uh, it's not Conseco Fieldhouse anymore. Is it where the Pacers play? Um, honestly, I have no idea, but I like, I haven't watched the Knicks game since like Mello was on the team. So I, I'm fully down to be a Pacers fan for a season to watch Dwayne Washington. So I'm, I'm good on that front. I'll go, I'll go root for Dwayne in, uh, in Indiana. Right, we'll we'll get, it. we'll watch Indiana. We'll watch the Hoosiers. We'll get it all done in, in one weekend. Book it. That'll be uh, that'll be our show for today. Um, lots more preseason camp stuff coming your way. We'll obviously have a lot more um, game related stuff as we get closer and closer to the season, and uh, we'll have previews and stuff once we get there as well. But until then, we'll continue coming at you with all the latest news of the off season. Uh, be sure to download the pod, like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff that everyone yells at you to do all the time. And uh, for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and we will see you guys next week.